Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Crockcast Podcast. I'm your host, Nate, and today I'm joined by my uh, guest co-host, Andrew. Glad to be here. And today we have the pleasure of interviewing uh, Ricky Mack. Ricky, welcome to the show. Thank you, Mike. How's everyone going? Well, we're talking to you, so pretty good. That's good. good. <laughs> a, little early, a little early here, Texas side. but Yeah, true. Is it, is it Easter over there or what? Yeah, Easter Sunday, so... Easter Sunday. I think it's uh, it's Easter Sunday here too, but it's Sunday at night. Yeah. But well, I guess it kind of works out. Either way, uh, we should probably be done soon enough for me to get to church. So. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, uh, uh, Ricky, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, uh, like how you first got into herping and uh, what you kind of do nowadays. Um, well, how I started off with herping is, um, just ever since I was a young age, I suppose it probably started with dinosaurs maybe. Um, and then it just progressed to like catching lizards in the garden to like catching bigger lizards. Like, I don't know, it went from garden skinks to like water dragons and bearded dragons. And then it progressed to like red belly black snakes and brown snakes and, you know, by like age 12, 13, I had pet taipans and tiger snakes and death adders and um, all that sort of stuff. You know, mulga snakes, all heaps of monitor lizards. And it sort of just kept spiraling out of control from there. Um, it's, I don't know. Yeah, it was probably, especially when I was younger, it was probably a bit more of an obsession rather than a hobby. Um I didn't really do much else, just lived and breathed reptiles and um, and then a bit of fishing and that. So it's sort of progressed a lot with age and as I've gotten older, I've sort of, um, yeah, I've just seen out of the, out of the captive stuff and I'm just, I'm just out here in the bush, just living the dream basically. Um, yeah. So it's just, yeah, a lot, a lot of traveling, a lot of, a lot of, yeah, a lot of time in the bush catching reptiles and working with reptiles. Um, in particular, you know, venomous snakes and monitor lizards and things like that. And um, yeah, now I'm doing. Now I do it for a living. I do it. Um, yeah, I literally catch snakes and reptiles for for a job. So it's pretty good. That's awesome, man. Was there any one yeah. person that that uh, inspired you to get into herps or wildlife in general? Or um, no, not really. So I, I I was always real keen when I was younger. I, I like like everyone. I used to watch Steve Owen. Um, you also like people that I probably enjoyed more. Were people like Rob Breddle, the Barefoot Bushman. I don't know if you've ever heard of him. He's like um, I've heard of him. You've heard of him, yeah. He's he's a bit of an old Aussie legend. Um, I actually went herping with him a few times when I was younger, so that was pretty good. Um, but as far as an inspiration goes, not really, because I was sort of, um, like I was so into it myself. I didn't really need any inspiration. I was already like just so, um, yeah, just so infatuated with it. I was, yeah. So anything that I would do would sort of just be like like anything I was watching was just fueling the fire. I don't know if it was necessarily inspiring me. It was just, you know, or constantly learning more, Um, you know, instead of doing 
instead of doing tests at school, I'm fucking drawing death adders on the back of my papers and like thinking about what I'm going to do when I get home or what I'm going to do on the weekend or where I'm going to go, what I'm going to catch or how I'm going to set up an enclosure for something back when I was keeping, you know, it was just all of that. So everything that I did would just kind of just keep the ball, just snowballing and snowballing and, and then I've somehow ended up here, wherever that is. <laughs> where where are you geographically in Australia? Um, so currently I'm in the Pilbara, which is north western Western Australia, if that makes sense. So north it's northwest Australia. I threw another western in there because it's northwestern Western Australia because the state is Western Australia. So it's sort of but yeah, Pilbara. Pilbara is me geographically at the moment, but I'm always on the move. So these jobs here, this is called FIFO, which is fly in, fly out. Um, so basically, I they fly me here to work because it's in the middle of fucking nowhere. So they fly you here and I stay here for 26 days, work 26 days straight, and then they fly me out for nine days break. Um. Yeah, this is a bit of a reptile capital kind of area, like very diverse. It's pretty harsh climate, but, um, you know, some days we're getting upwards of like 170 reptiles a day. So, yeah, it can, more, it can get... A lot more than my neck of the woods, I'll say that, so. Whereabouts are um, you fellas from? Uh, I'm from north central Ohio, so... Yeah. Frozen Tundra. Yeah. And I'm from yeah, uh, right. Houston, Houston, Texas area. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Texas at all. but uh, oh, Look, the, both of them, the names ring bells, but that's about as far as right. I can <laughs> Yeah, You haven't paid much attention to, to the uh, United States herbs? No, not really. Hey, I'm, I don't know. For some reason, I'm pretty content with um, what I got here. I Don't blame you. I definitely. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely have an interest. I'd love to do like, I don't know, like a South American trip or something. But to be honest, like my next overseas trip, I'd probably, if I was going to be going overseas, I'd probably want to just go somewhere like New Guinea or something, which is basically just another Australia. So, I don't, I mean, I've seen, obviously I've seen a lot here, but I sort of, I don't know. I'm just happy to keep seeing more and just keep doing it. Like it's, it's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, have fun so uh what sort of species do you most commonly encounter when you go out herping where you're at now um lots of dragons like agamids um and when i say lots of them like lots of them like because so this work well if you were talking work or not so like if i'm not working if i'm just driving you know like today i've probably seen like 20 goulds monitors just crossing the road. This is goannas everywhere. Um, dragons just everywhere. Hundreds of dragons. They're just zipping across the road a thousand miles an hour. They run so fast that they get airborne off the little berms on the side of the tracks. But when I say when I say roads, they're just they're just sand. They're just like sand tracks, but we call them roads anyway. But um, yeah. And then uh, we got two western brown snakes this morning, which are. Um, they're, they're very, both very pretty. Um, and then, yeah, a bunch of geckos, things like that. But 
as far as yeah, most common things would be would be especially this time of year would be dragons and monitors. Um, and then at night time, yeah, you get your geckos, your snakes. You know, there's black-headed pythons, there's woma pythons, there's stimsons. Um, yeah, mulga snakes, ringed brown snakes. There's a fair bit of there's a fair bit of pretty good stuff here. Um, and also, you're in close proximity of other species. You know, like you've got um, I don't know, you've got olive pythons just down the road. You got Pilbara rock monitors. Down the road, you got Kimberley Rock monitors, not too far up the road. Water monitors, you know, Parentes, things like that. Yeah, Parentes, my uh, personal dream lizard to find in the wild one day. So, yeah. Oh, I didn't, I didn't see any today, but I did see a lot of tracks of them. So they're active and they're getting around. But I'm in a pretty good area for Parentes, so um, they do turn up here fairly often. I used to love watching uh, Steve Irwin go out and catch parentheses. Yeah. Know, yeah. So much fun. Yeah, I think everyone everyone sort of has the, um, a bit of that, all of his stuff in their mind somewhere, eh? a piece of a piece of his work. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of the flip of that, what would be like some of the, one of the rarest stuff, things you find around there? Um, I don't really know to be honest. Like, there's a lot of uncommon. Like, you know, the thing is the habitat. Um, it's very it's harsh, sort of deserty country, and it can kind of look similar in general. But there's a lot of little niches within it. You know, different plants popping up, and um, different the soil type changes. It's all red dirt, but. You know, sometimes it gets real loamy. Um, other other way, other times it's you know like sort of stony soil, or it's real sandy, and all those sort of different, um, all those different soil types and different plants and that sort of all hold their own little niche of species. So you get all the common stuff right through it, but then you know you'll come across um, patches of woma pythons or patches of uh, jeweled geckos or um, there's the Varanus aremius. It's the rusty desert monitor, um, brevicorda, short-tailed pygmy monitor, things like that. They're all they're they're common enough, but they're so secretive that they're um, yeah, they're they're just so secretive. They're kind of hard to come across. So things like that are good when they turn up. I'm I'm a big lover of the monitors, obviously, so I like finding them um, and. Yeah, ven- as venomous snakes are, you know, right up there for me. But they're all the species we get here are relatively common, so they sort of do show up. You get a lot of mul- like a lot of king browns or mulgers, um, a lot of death adders, a lot of western browns, a lot of ringed browns, that sort of thing. Herping uh, where I live, you know, we have a lot of rare herps that we're all all of us herpers are looking for. But the reason is the human influence on the landscape is so large. So a lot of our herbs are declining. I guess where you're at now, it's still rather pristine and, and a lot of those species are still pretty, pretty abundant. Yeah. Yeah. That is, um, yeah, mostly that's pretty well correct. I mean, Australia is a very big place. Um, over here in particular, WA is like this state is like half takes up half of the bloody country. So, and it's, 
not really a great deal goes on here other than a whole heap of mining. So there's heaps of um, like yeah, WA we mine you know heaps of um, heaps of metals basically metals out of the ground. So um, so other than that, not too much goes on. So there's basically just a whole heap of roads going through. So the animals yeah are still in all the all the habitat is all in pretty good condition. Well, I mean you can go. Most of the part you're driving around where, yeah, you're just in just natural habitat. So if you sort of want to find anything, you can, if you just go looking, you can go and find somewhere where no one else can access and you can just go and find it. Um, But yeah, obviously further, you know, different areas have, you know, with more civilization, stuff like that, they have a lot, um, a lot more pressure on them with yeah with um habitat decline or with um habitat destruction or even i don't know even poaching to an extent but obviously the main um yeah the main reason for animals decline anywhere is is um is yeah like you know have basically habitat lost due to civilization just clearing it building houses or suburbs or cities or you know that sort of thing but yeah, up here everything's pretty safe. It's um, it's all yeah, it's all very natural. There's there's bulk, you know. If you, you get a good night, you can go out and I don't know, like some nights up here, I found fifty death adders in a night. Like, um, yeah, like black-headed pythons are are common. Womers are relatively common. Mulgars are common. Western Browns are common. Like today, we we found we literally hopped out of the car. Do you know what a Gurnia epsisolis are? Those little spiny red skinks. Uh, I don't know. No, no. Oh, we like we pulled up at a spot to go and look for them. This is why I'm working, and we literally walked about five meters from the car and found two of them in a crevice. So. Yeah, so it's pretty. It can, it can be pretty easy going. I mean, it comes with not like people flat out message me all the time saying, "How do I find snakes? I can't find anything." You give them advice, and they still can't do it. It's not. It's not just easy to go out and just start pulling things out of the bush. But if you can narrow it down where you go out and you know exactly where to look, well, then you've obviously got some pretty good chance and stuff. All right. Yeah. So uh, me and Andrew both have a bit of a background working with uh, crocodilians. And yeah. a little while ago, you kind of uh, made friends with a local uh, freshie, right? Yeah, yeah. She was very good. Um, but that croc was, yeah, so, was pretty famous, it seemed. Yeah, it was. It, she's blown, it's blown her up a lot, actually. She's, um, I see a lot of people down there photographing her and stuff now. It's sort of a, um, oh, it's, it's like a bit of, it's a, it's at a dam where a lot of people, a lot of birdos go and they go and photograph birds. Um, and they do that sort of thing. So there's a lot of cars driving sort of just in or just in and out constantly because people go and pull up and they photograph birds on the wetlands. So she's just gotten real used to basking on the road in the wet season. There's not much land. So the wet season, it fucking rains a lot obviously um so it uh yeah you know there's not a heap of land so basically the water comes right up to the road it's actually flowing over the road um and she just 
yeah, just lays in the sun there and you just watch the, I was watching a few cars like driving and they literally have to like get off the road to go around her. Like she was just, wasn't moving. And, um, and I was there fishing and I was catching heaps of fish. Um, all these fish are sitting there feeding on stuff that's getting washed over the wall. So I was like, Oh, I'll, I'll go give her a feed. So I went over and I gave her a feed and she, obviously, she smashed the fish. She loved it. And then I just sort of kept doing it. And then before I knew it, I don't know, she was just real. Um, yeah, before I knew it, I was going down there every day and I was catching fish and I was feeding her. And she was like coming when she was called. I was like sitting on the bank. I, she'd be out in the water. I wouldn't even need to have fish. And she was coming in. I'd sit there, like sit there calling out on the bank and she'd swim right up to me walk out of the water and just plonk herself in front of me like um yeah so yeah Mina had a real good relationship it actually it was really cool it was a shame it was in a um a touristy area I mean um if you could go and do it somewhere a bit more secluded it would be a bit better for everyone but um I mean there's no it was just a bit of harmless a bit of harmless fun. I gave her a feed every now and then and um, she gave me a bit of joy. It was just a bit of, yeah, it's not, I wasn't like, she's not relying on me to get fed or anything. So, right. Yeah. Did, did anybody give you a hard time for feeding a wild croc? Oh, fuck. I copped all sorts of shit over that. Not, <laughs> I mean, for, for the most part, like all my, I know a lot of, uh, what I do is very controversial. I know that. Um, just in general, and most people, you know, I see people on on social media all the time that you don't that you think, oh, you know, he's a dickhead or or I don't like what he's doing. But you don't go out of your way to say it. You just just scroll past it. So I, I know a lot of people do that to me. They see my stuff and they're like, oh, this bloke's a dickhead or whatever. Like, but they don't say anything. Like the amount of negative impact in the negative feedback I have is is pretty well zero. Like I get I get fuck all negative stuff but there was something blew up with all these bird people that were photographing these birds and seeing i don't know it got fucking really out of control (laughs) and and i had like an army of like i don't even know like an army of like local bird watchers fucking blowing up on my instagram and like posting me on facebook like saying oh, i don't know like there was it was it actually it was pretty out of hand like there were a bunch of nobodies so it sort of meant nothing to no one but like just repeat like spam commenting on all of my photos and shit like they spent 15 minutes typing something up and i just delete it and it was gone and i was like what are you fucking idiots doing like at the start i was just leaving it because it's like comedy and everyone will back me up anyway no one's gonna sit there and agree with him everyone's like get a life like you know just shut up he's not doing any i'm not doing anything wrong but yeah like it that, so it actually it did cause a fair bit of stuff but i mean as far as how serious it actually was it's not really that serious so no if it was a a saltwater crocodile that would be a different story like people have a right to be mad <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I suppose so. I mean, it's just a freshie. She was an adult female. She's not doing anything like, um, yeah, you know, you don't want to be luring salties up to the bank, getting them used to, um, yeah, getting them used to people. Obviously, that's a bit of a recipe for disaster. But 
um, yeah, yeah, no, she, yeah, she was a lovely, lovely cock. She'd be, um, it was, it was really good actually being able to interact with an animal like the way we would, we were interacting, especially a wild animal. Like I could sit there and pat her and everything. Like she was, she was really, really cool. Yeah. Like, uh, is it true? Like, it was like, like, like one or two reported attacks by freshies and like no fatalities ever re- recorded from them or. Yeah, no, so no fatalities. They're only they're only a relatively small crocodile. I mean, absolute maximum is like eight foot. Um, so she was pushing. Oh, she would have been between four, I reckon five and a half foot. So there's been a bunch of like I don't know, like attacks. You could say not attacks, just people getting bitten. Like you swim around all the time and you kick them underwater and shit because you can, like. And and they just like people just get bitten or, or sometimes um, like I've had a fair, a fair few of them sort of like if they're on the bank I'll cut them off cut them off from the water so I'll walk between them and the water and obviously they're not happy about that so they come flying at you with their mouth open just trying to get back to the water like there is ways that they that you could get bitten by them and people do and a lot of the time it's just accidental like swimming you know because in Australia if there's only freshwater crops everyone just swims. So it's only when the salties that no one swims. So it's very easy for an accident to happen. But as far as attacks go, they're never out to attack you. It's just either defense or it's purely just an accident. Like, you know, you just, you literally, if you're, if you're swimming around or you're wading through the water, you can just, if they've, if they've just ducked under the surface, you can just kick them and, you know, it's not hard to just get a bite from anything doing that. Yeah. Um, but no, they're definitely by no means are out to get you at all. They're just, well, they just eat fish and frogs and insects. Um, you know, the occasional turtle or maybe a bat here and there, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a mainly, it's like a diet of fish and frogs. Yeah. So mostly just people accidentally getting their leg or hand at the wrong place at the wrong time, more or less. It's the, that's exactly what it is. It's just the wrong place, wrong time. And sometimes you cop a bite. It's never anything serious. Like it's just, they've got very, very gnarly teeth. So they, they make a mess of you. But I mean, um, they're not. Yeah. It's just the wrong place, wrong time. It's accidental on everyone's half. And it's always going to be the human's fault. It's never, it's never the croc's fault. And um, they're certainly not aggressive. Have you spent a lot of time around saltwater crocodiles? Um, oh, well, as much time as you can, like, I mean, I'm not, I'm not out there jumping on the back of five meter crocs, but, um, anywhere up here, like, you know, the rivers just on my work here have crocodile salties. So there's as far as like, I catch heaps of smaller ones, um, things like that. There's sort of only, you know, whenever you're fishing and that, you can all, there's always crocs. There's crocs everywhere. But as far as like working with them, not not really. It's sort of just, you just got to, just just sort of living with them being around. Is it, when you're out like fishing, is it is it in your mind that there's, you know, potentially a croc at the water's edge as you're like landing a fish that could like pull you in and eat you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. That's and that is a massive, a massive risk, um, and it is, uh, it is a very real 
real risk it happens. That's how that's how heaps of people get taken is is fishing and being near the water's edge. Um, but I don't know. It's uh, when you do it for so long, it sort of ends up. I don't know. It's just it's just like handling snakes. You get anyone gets complacent, you know. Um, if you land a fish a hundred times from the bank and a croc doesn't take you, you're going to think you can do it a hundred and one, and then maybe and then a croc is there. But if I'm if if I'm in completely murky water and I can't even see, I'm not going to be down there grabbing a fish off the bank. I mean, sometimes I do, but I try and keep it. I try not to. I, usually, the water's relatively clear. Um. So as long as you can see within a meter or so in front of you, you can duck down and grab whatever. But it is a very, very real. Um, it's a very real risk. Um, fucking crocodiles, like saltwater crocs, are definitely no joke in Australia. They're fucking pretty full on. Um, yeah. So I know I know a lot of people that have had some really close calls with them, and a lot of them are fishing, fishing slash boating. Um, yeah, because they, they can literally be anywhere. So, uh, speaking of potentially, uh, dangerous reptiles, uh, venomous snakes, you'd like to handle those a lot. Uh, want to talk about those a little bit? Yeah. Um, for some reason, venomous snakes have always, always been, um, a massive, Massive hobby of mine, like a real, like a, I suppose, a very big part of my life. Um, always been really keen on, on them more than anything. I'm not really sure why, but they are definitely, even venom. Without venom, they're still the coolest snakes. Like the all the best looking snakes, the most interesting snakes, the most active snakes, are all just happen to be venomous. And then it also just happens that we're in Australia, so like we've got like the fucking top 20 most venomous snakes pretty much like or like we have the top 10 or something anyway so i don't really look at that too much but yeah we've all of our snakes are pretty pretty toxic um and yeah i don't know i've yeah just always ever since i was ever since i was young i've always been obsessed with them you know i was um out, out there catching red bellies after school when i was you know when i was fucking 11 and had pet, you know, I had pet taipans, I had pet death adders and all sorts of stuff. And, it, um, yeah, it just, it just, it just all, it's just always been something that I've really been very, um, I don't know, very strongly passionate about. And it always been sort of, I don't know, I suppose if you look at it, what I do, always the riskier side of handling, um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not too sure why. I've always been like that, just since I was young. You know, like when I don't know when I was when I was real young, keeping captive snakes. I was, I didn't ne- never even really think of the risk that come with a bite. I'd be sitting in my room, free handling tiger snakes and taipans and brown snakes. Didn't even have a bandage. It's just <laughs> like I don't. I don't know. It's just. I mean, oh yeah, young and stupid and a little bit, sort of just. I don't know, maybe fearless and not quite, um, I don't know, yeah, just sort of how I've been. And as I've gotten older, I've had a few bites, um, things like that. So you always learn from your bites and what what goes wrong. But all that really ever comes down to is just complacency, just 
like with anything, you do it so much, um, you know, something's bound to go wrong eventually. Um, walk us through especially... that. Walk us... My bad. Go on. Walk us through that. So you got bit by a taipan, right? First? Yeah, I did. How, how, what is that? Because I feel like I'd have a social anxi- or an anxiety attack just from the bite itself, not even the venom. But uh, like, <laughs> how, how was that? <laughs> um, it's funny. I w- thought I was fine, eh? I, <laughs> I, I, honestly, I, I couldn't have been any more calm. Um, it, we just, we were just me and a mate. We're just talking about um, how you know you could just go around any corner because taipans aren't the most common find up here. But they just, we spend a lot of time looking for them, and more often than not, you don't find them. But you know, anywhere you are when we're out, you could just find one. And we were just saying, you know, you could just go around any corner, and there'd be a taipan there. And um, and that's literally as. Literally, as the words come out of our mouth, we drove around a corner and there was a type in just coming out of the scrub um, onto the road. And so I, you know, just jumped out of the car, um, like slid in some mud and grabbed hold of it before it, before it got off into the bush. And um, yeah, and we were, we were like ready to oh, I was standing there holding it and it was going off it actually nearly bit me on the face it was it was fucking it was a it was a fucking dangerous snake it was really cranky um and yeah and I don't know I was standing there holding it and I think I just took a video of it in my hand uh to put on Instagram just on my story like I usually do and I don't even really know. It all happened so quick. I just looked up and it was hanging off my forearm. So, and and it and it smashed me. I felt it bite me, and it bit me straight in the in the vein, running up my arm. Um, and and I was just like, I just said to my mate, I was like, oh fuck, that just got me. And he looked over, and it was stuck because I had like a just like a long sleeve shirt thing on, and it was actually its fangs were stuck in my shirt. And it was just hanging there, like thrashing around, trying to get off my sleeve. And he was just coming over. He was just going to freehand pin it straight off my fucking shirt. Um, and and so, but by the time he got there, it it it, it had let go. So I handed him the snake. Um, obviously, it just bit me. So I wanted to get photos of the snake. We were going to photograph it there and then, but we had to do a hospital trip. So, um, yeah. So. Um, we hung on to the snake. I ran over, got a bandage and put it on, which was pointless because um, one, it bit me straight in the main vein, but also because taipans have such long fangs. You know, usually when you get bitten by a snake, I mean, it'd probably be the same over there with your rattlesnakes and things. You're not, the blood, the venom's not traveling in the lymphatic system. They're biting you straight into the muscle and it's straight into your bloodstream. So a bandage is, is as good as useless anyway. Um, I mean, I just got it and stuck it on. It was probably a waste. Of, it, it was definitely a waste of time, but I didn't waste that much time doing it anyway. But so we just started driving uh, to the hospital. But I sort of thought that I'd be all right. I mean, I didn't. I wasn't worried at all. He actually was breaking for a stick, thinking it was another taipan. Like we were ready to catch another fucking snake. Um. So, and. 
and I seen the stick on the way in. So he broke for it and I was like, oh, it's a stick. Like I've already seen that on the way in. And um, anyway, and so this was like instantly as we took off. But he go, he told me because I, I had a, a um, girlfriend at the time and, and he said, oh, because she was at home and he's like, do you want to just send send her a message and, and let her know that we're going to hospital or whatnot? And I remember looking at my phone and I had no service. Like this is probably only 30 seconds, 45 seconds had gone past. And then, and um, and it actually, no, backtrack a little bit. Before it bit me, I hopped in the car and I could feel tingling in my feet, which was weird. Only very light. But the first thing that I remember feeling in my entire body after I got bitten was in my feet. So that goes to show how fast it was traveling through my bloodstream. Um, and then, yeah, so he said that once about messaging her and I sort of, I said, oh, we don't really have any service. Well, I didn't really answer him. And then, you know, we drove for like another 30 seconds and he goes, hey, fucking, are you going to message her or what? Tell her we're going to hospital. And I sat there and I remember sitting there. I was in, I was sitting in the front seat of his ute. I had the window down. I had a bottle of water in one hand and I was sitting there in complete darkness with my eyes open. I just couldn't see. And I said to him, I was like, hey, I, I fucking can't even see, hey. And he, re- he reckons he looked over at me and my eyes were just rolled back in my head white. And um, and I, and at that second, I didn't really, still didn't think much, but I, I have some some memory just thinking, oh, like, am I going to die? Like, or, like some, some thought about death there, but still very, I don't know. I don't know why. I just didn't really phase me too much. But then, yeah, once he, um, once he seen my eyes, he's like, fuck. He's been bitten by like seven Taipans himself. Um, yeah, like he got bitten the other day. He didn't even go to hospital. So this was only like three days ago. So he, he best person to get bitten with ever. Um, but anyway, so he he stepped on it and was going was going to hospital. But he said like, yeah, you know, a few, a few seconds later, he said I just hunched over like I was dead, and like my tongue was hanging out of my mouth, and then. Um, yeah, I was fully unconscious for, for fucking, took about 20 minutes to get to hospital and, um, and yeah, I was full, I was fully unconscious. He said I had like fucking foam coming out of my mouth and he was holding me up by my hair, trying to keep my airways open. Like my tongue was hanging out. My eyes were just rolled back. He just, he thought I was dead. He was trying to feel for a pulse. He reckons he couldn't even feel a pulse. The the um, paramedics reckon I was dead. They were just like, oh, I would have been dead for sure. So, um, yeah. And so that was, I mean, uh, for me, it wasn't really that bad because I don't, I don't, I didn't really go through any trauma at all. But for my mate, it was, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think, I don't know if it shook him up too much. He's, he's a pretty good bloke. So he, um, yeah, so we did that and he drove me to hospital so the whole way there, I was unconscious. He was doing like 150 k's, driving me to hospital, holding me with one hand, overtaking cars on the wrong side of the road and shit. It was a pretty hectic drive, apparently. Um, and then yeah, and, and then it, it was just as we were getting into hospital. I um, I I remember there was some sunnies in like a in a sunglass case on the dash, and like he was like hooking around a corner. And they slid off and smacked me on the fucking foot or something. And um, and at that moment, for some reason, 
I like moved or something. I remember seeing light coming through my fucking eyelids for the first time. And he was like, holy shit, he's alive. And, um, and so he ran up into the hospital and like got them and they come down and put me in a, I don't know, a wheelchair or something and took me up to hospital. But I sort of come, I started coming good at, at that stage for a little bit. Um, and this is kind of sort of something that has happened before. He reckons it's happened with his bites, but, um, yeah, I started coming good and I was in hospital and the, and the, the fucking people in hospital are hopeless, hopeless. So they're on there. He's there. Like, have you got, are you going to give him, have you got it? I'm asking them, have you got any venom? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we've got any venom, like making out like they were going to give it to me. And I was like, all right, good. Because I felt like I was dying because I probably had just been dead. Like, but then he's, they're telling him that they have no intentions of giving me any venom at all because they, I don't know. They're not, they're not equipped. To, they're not comfortable dealing with that sort of thing. So, um, they, the bloke there was telling me, the, one of these nurses is telling me that I'd just been bitten by a harmless snake and that the shock of getting bitten is what was making me pass out. Full blown. I was about I was about to fucking headbutt this bloke out of me, jump out of me thing and, and fucking break his nose in my forehead. I was like, are you kidding? I was like, get my snakes every day. I said, I've just been dead for the last fucking half an hour. Like, it was it was so full on. They they had no intentions of giving me anything. They didn't even believe that I'd been bitten by a snake. And um, yeah, so they were like near responsible for my death. They were trying to get me in a helicopter to fly me to another bloody hospital with no anti venom. And then I started they and they had it there. No no idea. And um, and then yes, yeah, so they. In the end, I, st- I started going back downhill. I was telling you, I was like, I'm fucking dying. I don't know. You, there's a weird feeling you feel when you're dying. And that was a feeling that you like, you can tell that your body's shutting down. And then, yeah, and then I started, I went massively downhill again. I like threw up and then I passed out and they started freaking out. And like, then they started giving me the anti-venom. And then, I don't know, I woke up like two hours later at another hospital um, and I had, and I had a bung eye. I don't know if you've seen, I had that. I had yeah. It's a, like off bit. Yeah. yeah. So I, I had the, um, I woke up with the bung eye. There's a certain word for it, but I forgot it. Um, lazy eye. No, like there's like a, yeah, it was a lazy eye, but I mean, there's like a, a word for like why it actually that happened to me, but basically it's cause my body shut down so far. Um, I don't know when I like was when I like come back, you know, my eye was, I don't know, just wasn't working. So I spent like, I'd like two weeks with an eye that I couldn't fucking see out of. It was just hanging in the side of my head, which, which was, it was, it was very scary. That was the worst part of the whole time. I'm laughing at you. It's funny how nonchalant you are about the whole experience. Uh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah, it's not. Yeah, no, nah, it's fine. I laughed about it. It was a good. Ex- it was a pretty good experience. I've been much uh, more dramatic well, about it. No, it wasn't traumatic at all. Really, the worst part was just um, being stuck in hospital. Like I was in hospital, I was, I was on adrenaline for like three days, keeping me going, and 
all that sort of shit. But um, yeah, the worst part was me mates. They're all like everyone because I like nearly died. They're all at the pub having a beer. And they're sending me a photo, like, we're having one for you. And I was like, fuck, I'm going to have to discharge myself and go to the pub. Like, I was, that was probably the hardest part of the whole thing was they're having a drink without me. But, um, yeah, no, we, no, look, I come up, I come up all right. I have no, no long lasting, no long lasting effects. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I sort of, yeah, I come out, I come out of it fine, really. I've been bitten by, a few snakes since the when you go to hospital they tell you oh you can never touch a snake again next time you get bitten you're gonna have a reaction you're gonna die this that and i was like mate this toxicologist is there he's like you cannot touch another snake in your life and i was like well that fucking type in may as well have killed me then because i don't live for anything else like you know so what's the point of being alive if i can't touch snakes but it I don't know. Anyway, I've been, I've had a few envenomations since and um, got no reaction, so I'm all good. What species? Um, I got bitten by a King Brown a couple months back, a Mulga. Um, and then just some mildly venomous stuff like brown tree snakes, yellow faced whip snakes, slaty greys, shit like that. And are those uh, lapis as well, or no? Nah, so the yellow face whip isn't a lapid. Um, the other two are colubrids. Huh. Uh, obviously, king browns and a lapid. Everyone yeah. knows what a king brown is. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think mulgas are probably one of the most beautiful looking snakes in all of Australia. So. Yeah. No, I I agree. Mulgas are mulgas are great snakes. They're one of the best. One of the best. So, uh, um, you also find a lot of, uh, pythons around where you're at, like Simpsons, especially. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of stimmies. They're pretty common. Um, they're pretty common anywhere you go, really. Like you can nearly always count on a stimmy. Um, oh, that actually, there's some new taxonomies being done and they're all children's pythons now, but I don't entirely agree with it. So I still call them stimmies. Gotcha. Yeah, so I I keep a few reptiles here where I'm at, and some of my favorite to keep are Australasian pythons. So like, I have like some couple different uh, carpet species, and uh, got some uh, New Guinea species or locales of uh, scrub pythons as well. I yeah, pretty cool snakes in general. Yeah, they definitely are. I love um, I, I love all of our pythons actually. Um, yeah. You just- it's lucky scrubbies here are common as you know they're one of the most common snakes in not right where i am but here in australia um i didn't know they're that common no they're super common yeah then you get them if you go out you'll see one every night now i'm really looking forward to scheduling a trip down to australia yeah no it's mate there's a reason why i don't go anywhere else <laughs> can't blame you no nah, yeah it's it's Ricky. it's bloody good. Ricky, I was a uh, I've been yeah I've been planning a trip to Australia. Of course, this year I probably won't make it. But um, what what area if I had to just like if I had just one week there, what what area would give me the best bang for my buck to see the most reptile diversity? 
Um, probably maybe a tough one, but um, it this is hard because um, there's a lot of factors go into it, and you know, like yesterday, just yesterday alone, I seen heaps more one species, and then today, I seen barely any of that species, but the conditions are the same. So things here switch on and off a lot. But as far as diversity goes, I'd probably say far north Queensland. Like, you ever heard of Cairns? Yeah. Somewhere like that because you've got all your your rainforest species. So you've got heaps of scrub pythons, water pythons. You've got carpets. You've got keelbacks, slater grays. You've got Boyd's forest dragons, chameleon geckos, um, red-bellied black snakes. And then you've got your drier country where you've got, you know, your death adders, your mulgers, frillies, black-headed pythons. And then you still get all of those rainforest snakes there. So you still get scrubbies, you still get carpets, brown tree snakes. You still get all that stuff in the dry country too. Taipans um, and then goannas, you know, you've got lace monitors, you've got panoptes, yellow spot monitors, you know, scolaris, all, all tristus, all sorts of shit. It's probably... It's probably pretty safe, um, and it's it's scenic. It's nice. It's good weather. You can go swimming. You can go fishing, um, and yeah, a vast variety of um, of different habitats. So yeah, like you know, rainforest, dry eucalypt forest, rock escarpments, savanna woodlands, floodplains, all that sort of shit. It's pretty good. And you got crocodiles there, freshies and salties. That's probably best bang for buck. You can come over here to where I am and you'll see a lot of stuff, but it's not very um, in the way of the stuff that you guys would be keen on. It's not super diverse. It's just like, you know, you can only really rely on like stimmies and like Western Browns and Mulgers and Death Adders and then just Goannas during the day. But I think, yeah. So, uh, have cane toads made it out to Pil- Pilbara area yet, or no? So they're in the Kimberley now. So when I was I was in the Kimberley about uh, a week ago, and they'd gotten further south than I'd ever seen them before. That actually wiped out an entire population of crocodiles. Probably the last, the strong, probably the where is the last, um, the largest population of crocodiles in Australia of freshwater crocodiles. So they're all dead. Um, heartbreaking like you know I was nearly in tears walking through this place um, just thinking about all the memories I used to have when I was younger and just the fact that I actually won't be able to do it again like you, it's sort of it's a, there's a weird when you walk through there and you don't see anything like, I'm not it, it's it, it was a, it's weird because you're so used to seeing stuff but then there's the afterthought, the fact that next time I come back here, it's going to be the same. I'm, I'm never going to be able to say it the same as what I'm used to seeing it. And it, it, it's fucking really like crushes your soul. Like, um, the thing is, you know, cane toads have been in Australia for like 25 years, 30 years. Um, so they're, they're, um, everywhere else has had time to, well, they've all been, it's all been killed off, but they've had time to recover and, and, and you know, adapt to life with toads. Not really anything eats toads, but in this area, as they head further and further south, 
it's basically just doing what they did to the rest of the country 20 years ago to this place. So now they're back to square one. And it, and I always sort of knew those places as the last strongholds because they were the places where I could go and see all the species that had been affected. You know, you could see them like it was before. And now, you know, the last, the last unaffected stronghold, um, yeah, she's all done. But as to whether they'll get down here to the Pilbara, uh, I'm not entirely convinced. It's very, very harsh, arid, dry country. And there's from the Kimberley down to here is just sandy spinifex desert. There's not really anywhere that um, they can survive through wet seasons, you know, if they come down in floods or whatever, but they die off during the dry season. And there's only certain places that um, that they could survive in, like down the bottom of gorges all year round, and they'd have to get there first, which I'd be more inclined to be saying that they'd get there via like hitchhiking in, in vehicles or cargo and shit like that. Yeah. Um, some people think they'll get here, some people don't. I'm not entirely convinced. I mean, it's definitely possible. Um, but as far as just keep continually spreading down, I don't know whether, um, I don't know whether they will, because like I said, it is very, very hard country. Yeah, it's one thing's, uh, toes don't like. It's, uh, dry desert, so. No, exactly. There's, um, there's other places like, you know, the Barkley Tablelands in, Northern Territory, they flood down there every year, but it's just too extreme there when it's dry and they just die. So I sort of have a, um, what's the word? Like, I don't know. Yeah, I have the same, I can't think of the word, but yeah, um, hopefully that's what happens here. They, If they do get, if they do start, you know, coming down, that they're just going to dry die off every dry season because all the rivers, everything dries up. It's but it's seriously harsh country. All the frogs that live here go underground. So toads can't do that. Like the to- the frogs that live here are all desert frogs. You know, they store they store water in themselves and dig holes and they come up next time it rains. Sometimes they're underground for fucking half a year or a year, you know. So, yeah. Um, now, since I'm a bit of a python head, I can't kind of ask this question. Uh, have you ever found a... Own a Pelly Python? Yeah, I found two of them. Um, Those are only found in uh, Kakadu, right? Yeah, so Arnhem Land. Arnhem Land, Kakadu is a national park in Arnhem Land. Um, but you, you you do get them outside of Kakadu. So, yeah, they're, but they're, their distribution is Arnhem Land, West, particularly West Arnhem Land. But I think they have a bit larger distribution than they're made out. Um than what's yeah sort of known they are obviously i think i'm pretty sure they're classified as like the rarest python in the world so um they're 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 very very cool species i um i really i was actually when i was younger i used to spend a lot of time up there in their range and i was always looking for rock monitors like kimberly rock monitors there's a there's a form in kakadu and um and black palm rock monitors, things like that. And I was so obsessed with the monitors and the venomous snakes, I didn't even really care for the old pellies. I knew they were there and I wouldn't even look for them. Um, and then one day it sort of just, I just got this idea where it dawned on me and I was like, 
I just had this thought, I'll go find an old belly. And I did. I went there and I spent four days searching and I found one, a young one, about a year old, um, cruising around through some, um, through some branches. And then about two months ago, I found another one in the exact same spot, which was about 10 foot long. Um, also, just descending from a tree, it was like half in the tree, half out of the tree, just cruising on a rock. Maybe it was the same one. Yeah, it could have been. I don't know. It, it could have definitely got to that size. Um, it definitely could have got to that size. But like I said, I think they're more common than what they're made out to be. It's just uh, it's, it's very unsearchable habitat. Like a lot of it you need to fly in there via helicopter you know like it's not it's the the parts that we can access via car uh is like you know not even is like one percent of it like it's just nothing so yeah your chances are pretty slim it's and it's, it's very hard country to search it's massive rock escarpments um it can be thick monsoon forest or dry you know eucalypt woodlands it's it's not it's not um yeah it's it's hard country just to search what's the main way you uh you, you look for snakes like so here we we do a lot of road cruising but a big thing here is we we flip a lot of tent and boards and stuff that's like one of the main ways we catch snakes in more temperate climates it works really well but i don't know if that's the same where where you're at yeah it is um, the thing is up here, like, it's so hot. I mean, like, today was like 45 degrees Celsius. It's like that every day. It gets to 50 plus here. Okay. Like, I don't know what that is in Fahrenheit, but it's fucking hot. <laughs> um, yeah, so in the in the cooler months, they, there's a lot of tin. There's heaps of junk around here. You know, there's all these old mines and stuff, so there's corrugated iron laying around everywhere. Which is great. That's obviously the same as over there. That is perfect to catch cooler climate snakes. But in places like this, it's not that effective because it's just too hot. Yeah, um, but da- yeah, but down south, it's a great way to find stuff, especially in winter. You know, just it's the same as over there, I presume. Um, but yeah, here, you know, you find the odd thing under it if you can pick good days in the cooler months. Um, but usually, yeah, you do a lot of road cruising or. Um, yeah, just a lot of bush bashing, you know, walking through the bush, checking creek lines, checking rock escarpments, things like that. Um, but yeah, the roads are roads are really good. Like I was driving here um, last week. I think it was. It was last week, and like not even looking for snakes, but I found like five olive pythons on the road. There was like blackhead pythons everywhere. You know, there's all sorts. There's children's pythons. There's just you don't even have to look for snakes and you just find snakes. One unique way uh, people find snakes in the kind of the deserts of like West Texas, Arizona is uh, people will go out and they shine road cuts where a road is cut through a mountainside. And it's a really effective way to find like montane species like rock rattlesnakes and stuff like that. Do y'all do any, do you do any sort of herping like that? Just walking roadside cuts. No, never, eh? Never even thought about it, to be honest with you. 
I do know what you're talking about, but because we have a lot of those cuts. Are you talking about where they like cut out a hill, cut through a hillside and have a road go through it? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, right. No, we have a lot of that, but no, I've never even thought of it. Usually we just drive, I don't know, drive through, but. It's kind of a way to yeah, see more fossorial snakes kind of emerge out of that rock and you can shine them up on the rock cut at night. It's, it's really a yeah, right. effective way to find stuff. In Texas, yeah, see you know, how, yeah, fair enough. Our, a lot of our, well, our fossorial stuff is literally living in the, under the sand or the leaf litter. Right, right. Uh, but, but yeah, you know, I, I, I'm just picturing now like what you're talking about. I found a lot of snakes coming out of that stuff onto the road where I've just been driving through and you see them. But um, I don't know. We must be pretty lucky because we can, especially on the roads, you know, you can all, you can always come, rely on going out and sort of finding, you know, yeah, pythons and things like that because they're sort of active, um, you know, all through the cool, like cooler weather doesn't really bother them. You know, like people think scrub pythons and that are real tropical, but you you find them stone cold laying on the road in the middle of the night in the rain. Like, um, yeah. So yeah, I think, I think we are just, I don't know. We're pre- we definitely are pretty lucky. There's a lot of snakes here. Uh, Andrew, you have any other questions? Probably. <laughs> There's so, so many questions about Australian herbs, but I think I'm I'm good for now. Uh, okay, I guess I'll go with uh, what do you think about uh, death adders? I think I personally think they're pretty cool looking snake. Yeah, I I, I love them too. Um, really cool snakes, really interesting. Um, we've got a lot of different species of them here, as you guys would know. Um, in this area now, we get the desert death adder which is Acanthophis pyrus. And then we also get the Pilbara death adder, which is Acanthophis wellsi. Um, the wellsi is a bit further south, but I mean, it's close enough for someone that doesn't really know where we are. Like, particularly, you get them within close enough proximity here. Um, and yeah, like, I was like, they're both of those species are the eight, probably the easiest, uh, most reliable species to find anywhere in the country. Um, like I was saying, yeah, like I've seen like 50 of them in a night. They're just everywhere all over the roads. Um, but if I had to pick a, a favorite, it would be commons, just the a big, you know, like a big, thick, dirty common adder. Like I reckon they're heaps cooler than, um, and then, yeah, I think to be honest, I think the species over here, the Pyrrhus and the Wells are probably my least favorite of the lot. Um, <laughs> Commons and the and the northerns, um, northern varieties are probably up there with my favourite. Yeah. It might may just be me, but they kind of look like a legless version of a blue tongue skink almost. Yeah, I think a fair few people have actually been bitten by them, picking them up, thinking they're blue tongues. Huh. Um, wow. It's something I don't I don't know anyone personally, but saying that growing up, you hear a lot of people. Like there's a lot of stories of people thinking that they're picking up a blue tongue, um, and it's a death adder and it bites them. So, 
it, we describe how common they are. It so, sounds almost like a uh, copperheads in uh, Andrew's neck of the woods. Yeah, right. Are they? We got a lot of copperheads. Yeah, it's funny, but because you don't, I've only ever seen two death adders on foot. Um, hang on, I got another call. Are you there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I've I've only ever seen two death adders on foot. Um, they're extremely hard to find. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know how or why, and uh, yeah, and I've only ever found one during the day, and and a lot of people, you know, never see them during the day. Like I, they they very rarely get found during the day. They're, they are the ultimate masters of camouflage. It is crazy. But you just got to get them at night time um, cruising around looking for somewhere new to set up in ambush or looking for a mate or something like that. So some nights they just have big moves. Like it's like a, a whole must be the perfect conditions for that species and they move. And um, and that's how you find them road cruising. And you find a, and they're easy to find road cruising, but you go for a walk, you don't see a single one. It's very strange. We have a lot of species like that. Um, they're just to get them in, in in the field in the habitat. It just they're you can't cover as much ground doing that, and they're they're so well camouflaged. Like our timber rattlesnakes in uh, here in Texas, they the easiest way I get them is by road cruising. If I go out just hiking around in the forest in the pine forest, I'm not going to find one. You know, I'd have to hike yeah. for days. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, well camouflaged and they occur in low densities so really hard to locate without road you know road cruising yeah yeah it's probably the same um yeah, yeah same sort of situation here with death adders yeah everything everything else is um pretty locatable like on foot or on the road or whatever um but with them you just don't find them They're, yeah, they're the ultimate masters of camouflage. So, uh, got any other questions, Andrew? Yeah, I think I'm. I think I'm good. Um, we covered we covered some good stuff. I think you know I have a better sense of uh, what it's like to herp Australia at this point, which is good because really want to go there. <laughs> yeah, it's it's definitely worth definitely worth coming here. Like, um, just got to make sure you pick your time of. Pick your time of year and your location, um, and yeah, you, if you get out and you do some road cruising and you do some walks, you know, you're gonna see stuff. Um, yeah, it's it's a beautiful place. Um, good reptiles, good countryside. It's it's um yeah. There's yeah, there's plenty there's plenty to do. So yeah. no, no matter where right. you go, you'll end yeah. up finding stuff. Cool mammals there too. Cool birds. Cool. Yeah. Cool. The orchids in Australia kind of blow my mind. You know, I'm not. You know, herbs come first, but orchid, like the plants over there, are also really cool. Yeah, we have we have really cool plants. I think. Um, I'm yeah. I'm 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 really getting starting to take a lot more notice of um everything else. Like as I'm getting a bit older, like kind of fanning out my like broadening my horizon away from just being so narrowly focused on reptiles. 
um, taking a lot more interest. My brother's mad into birds, so he's the same as I am with reptiles. He's the same with birds. So I have, without even learn, without even teaching myself, I already just automatically know a lot about birds just because he, he's I've grown up with him. He's vice versa with the reptiles, but uh, the mammals. The mammals and the plants and stuff, um, yeah, I really, you know, I'm starting to, yeah, really broaden my horizon and it's all just part of being out in the bush and, you know, just being a bit of, a, I don't know, a naturalist, I suppose, just getting amongst a bit of everything. Um, I already do have a fair understanding of the plants and stuff, anything that um, you can associate with the reptile in particular, you know, I know all about it because i got to target that species of plant to find the species of reptile it tells the it tells a story of the soil you know the plant yeah, tells the story of the soil yeah exactly so yeah. yeah but no we we have really nice plants here and like you said orchids you know when you're walking around um rock escarpments or you know gorges and there's yeah there's mad orchids growing off the rocks and all these sick ferns and all sorts of shit that's that's good it's um yeah, it's a special place just to be out. I'm pretty lucky, even just with this job, you know, I'm just out in the fresh air every day, out on out on the land, getting amongst it, looking at our Australian reptiles every day. It, um, before we, uh, that's one question I had. What, what exactly are you doing for work at this point? I don't so know really it's, it's called um, fauna spotting. So basically... I work for a mining company. Like I said, Western Australia has a lot of mines. So they're digging a massive trench um, to lay pipe in it. So I don't know. Do you guys know what like a what a pit trap is? Yeah. Yeah. So it's basically this thing is just like a 600-kilometer pit trap just in the middle of the middle of the bush, in the middle of nowhere. It's the most, you know, super remote. And so animals are just trying to go about their daily life and they come across, you know, a trench that's, you know, nearly two metres deep and it's nearly two metres wide. So there's just bulk animals that are just falling in there. And so it's my job is to just be constantly getting whatever that falls in, getting it out. Um, so, yeah, that's so pretty much what I do. I, I rescue wildlife for a living out of this trench and just release it back into the bush. But it's predominantly reptiles and then a small percentage of mammals and occasionally something else. Sounds pretty badass. It's a fucking good gig. I mean, yeah, like I'm getting paid to catch snakes and be in the bush and it's, yeah, it doesn't really get, doesn't really get any better. And then, and then they just, they just fly me to home or whatever. I've actually got my car here. So I can either get flown elsewhere or I can jump in my car and head off into the bush for me time off. So I basically have like a whole, I have a holiday one, 26 days and then I have nine off. So it, it sort of, it suits the life. Oh yeah. That's so, all I yeah. got, Nate. Right. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show. It's a real blast talking to you. No, that's all right. No worries at all. It's nice meeting you guys anyway. Yeah. Great to oh, meet you, Ricky. On. No, no worries. Um, no, I'll, I guess I'll um, speak to you next time, eh? Yeah, next time in Australia, try and hit you up. 
next time you're in Australia, if you're ever coming to Australia, yeah, let us know. I can put you in the right direction. Um, catch up, have a beer with you or whatever, or go for a herp, depending if I'm if I'm around. Sounds like a plan to me. <laughs> oh, no worries. Oh, happy Easter, eh? Same to you. Happy Easter. Oh, no worries. Oh, I'll catch you fellas later. Eh? Have, a, have a good day. Right. You too. Have a good one, Ricky. Appreciate it. All right. It. Hey, boys. Says.